Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime, and I am your host, Frank Zafiro. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Lori Raider Day. If you're not familiar with Lori, you have not been following all of the different awards given out in uh, the mystery field because she has won more than a few. Um, And we're going to talk to her about her work, including the book that I most recently read, Under a Dark Sky, which was fantastic. Um, So we're going to get right to that. Uh, But first, uh, we're going to talk to Lance Wright from Down and Out Books, which, as you know, is the official sponsor of Wrong Place Right Crime. And uh, Lance is going to let us know about a few books and uh, other projects that are on the horizon here from Down and Out Books. Well, hey, Lance, welcome to the show. Thanks, Frank. So January is a pretty big month for Down and Out Books. Uh, What do you got coming out that you want to highlight? You know, we're really excited about 2020. Um, it, it, if you know about the publishing business, it's always a year in advance. So we've been looking at these titles since uh, January of 2019, and they're finally coming out, and we're very excited about what we have to offer. Um, first up is first in a new series called The Stone Carrier by Robert Ward. The lead character is a uh, journalist in 1970s New York City. And he gets caught up in a, you know, an unbelievable mix of murder and mayhem and needs to solve it all. Bob has gotten some terrific blurbs, including one that said, this book does a stellar job of interspersing layered, character-rich scenes with ones of tension and ultimately action. Reads like it was written by an insider and I was transported into his world. And do you know who wrote that? You blurbed this book. <laughs> I actually uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, very, very good job of capturing the era that it was in. A little different than your typical mystery. Uh, when does that come out? It actually comes out uh, the first week of January, January 6th. But uh, another first in a series is by Wendy Tyson. It's called A Dark Homage. Ooh, I like that title. Then, yeah, it's a good title, isn't it? <laughs> The uh, lead character is a female private investigator, Delilah Percy Powers, and she's hired by the niece of a socialite who vanished one day, only to turn up a year later murdered under a different name. Hmm. So it's a uh, it's a puzzle. It involves the uh, rich and famous of Philadelphia, but it also has some political um, elements to it. It's you know. Uh, the lead, the uh, murdered woman is a leading feminist in Philadelphia. All right, we have a couple other um, uh, books, one of which is called In the Cut. It's the second in a series of the Spocompton crime novels. That sounds very familiar. You're talking about my book. I'm talking about your book, Frank. That's exactly right. This one here is... Uh, it's more of a setting series as opposed, as you know, but it's more of a setting series as opposed to a character series. Uh-huh. And I think that's kind of different. And I think uh, uh, readers will be interested to see that the different perspectives that a different cast of characters bring to the same setting. We're excited about this one. I read this one and I was drawn into the characters. Uh, and the, 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 the whole, and it's, it's, it's not something that I'm actually familiar with. It's a motorcycle gang. And, uh, anyone that knows me knows that, you know, I'm about as far removed from a motorcycle gang as you can get, 
but wow, I was really um, drawn into this one. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Lance. And like I said, I normally wouldn't put something like that on the show uh, when we're trying to promote other authors, but uh, I got a really well, can nice... we talk? Well, can we talk about something else that you're involved with? Uh, sure. And well, January is the lead month of the second season of A Grifter's Song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eric this... Pruitt's up first. Yeah, there's you know, Eric Proof's book was published on January 1st, and on the first of every month through June 1st is a different episode of the series. So we've got Eric Pruitt up first, Awesome Maria Bradley comes out February 1st, Holly West on March 1st, Eric Beatner, Scott Eubanks, and you um, have you wrote the, the the final episode of this season. And I want to mention that while each of the individual episodes are available to purchase separately, subscribers to the whole season get a discount on each one and they get a first look at them. We send them out about a week ahead of their publication date. Not only that, but they get a bonus subscriber only story both seasons. That is true. And I can promise if you are on the fence about whether it's worth it or not, the bonus story for season two, uh, The Reckoner, is uh, uh, well worth having, if only because you get some information that you uh, wouldn't have gotten otherwise about some of the things that happen in the first six stories. And I'll just leave it at that. That sounds exciting. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on the show and uh, getting us all caught up on uh, January, Lance, and uh, we'll talk to you again next month. My pleasure, Frank. Look forward to speaking to you in February. Well, thanks, Lance. You know, folks, it's a pretty cool thing to be part of uh, that publisher, Down and Out Books. They've got some incredible authors there. And if you like your mysteries dark and gritty, then Down and Out Books is definitely a publisher you should check out. Someone else you should be checking out is Lori Raider Day, if you haven't already. And I had a wonderful conversation with her, um, despite the fact that she is widely renowned for her quick wit and occasionally barbed tongue. She is a very nice person, and I had a really good time talking to her. Uh, let's get to that interview and, and learn a little bit more about Lori Raider Day. Well, hi, Lori, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Frank. Um, well, you've done pretty well at these conferences uh, in terms of awards. Yeah, embarrassingly well in some ways. In fact, uh, I actually, in, in a roundabout way, that's how I heard of you for the first time. I was interviewing uh, Eric Pruitt for the show here, and uh, <laughs> he he was up against you in some category. As long as we're on short stories, uh, I noticed you were a Derringer finalist. Which story was that? It's called Knockout. So, yeah, that was a big surprise to me. I got the email notification one day. I was like, what? Uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, the guy who won that year, and I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's Joseph Dagnese. He apparently wins, like, all the time, so he's like the Meryl yeah. Streep. So, yeah. basically, I got beat by the Meryl <laughs> Streep of short fiction. And, Joseph, if you're listening, I just called you Meryl Streep. Your move. Uh Dude, I'll take nominee and finalist anytime. I just did the Balshacon. We got uh, where we finally got to meet face to face, and I was privileged to be an Anthony nominee. And everyone would ask me, "Are you, are you nervous? Are you, you know?" It's like, no, I'm in there with, I'm in the category of Lori Raider Day and Jim Ziskin. I'm not gonna win, so therefore I don't have to worry about coming here and winning. <laughs> I just have to come here and enjoy being a nominee. Who ended up winning in that category? Do you remember? Lori Raider Day. 
No surprise. She's a she's a beast. Would you call her Meryl, Meryl Streep too? Uh, <laughs> she, she the Robert De Niro. <laughs> no, I'm I'm scared of Lori Ray today. I ain't calling her nothing. <laughs> I call her yes, ma'am. I ain't messing with her. Oh, <laughs> I love that story. Eric is so funny. We had such a fun time being on that. We had a panel, you know, all the nominees for that. It was the best paperback original at the Anthony Awards. Yeah. I think he was there for, was his for what we reckon or? I can't remember which of his books he was yeah. there for. It seems like that I was I can't remember which of my ones. books I was there for. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about a few of those because they've, they've done so well. I've, I've only read one. Uh, it was uh, the easiest one to get after I, I met you and, and heard about you. And that was Under a Dark Sky. Uh, and that actually did really well at the uh, VoucherCon um, back in uh, in Dallas a few months ago. Yeah, it won the Anthony Award for Best Paperback Original as well. How's that feel? I'm a, I'm a two-peat, a repeat. Um, you know, it, it feels so good to be a nominee for these awards. It's really, you know, the cherry on top of, of a year of promoting a book, and then you get a nomination, and it's all your friends, and you want every all your friends to be nominated, and then... And then you win. You want yourself or your friends to be winning these awards. That's mm-hmm. you want books that you really enjoy to be winning these awards. So I'm just sort of embarrassed by it in, in a in a strange way. Well, it was a good book. It was certainly uh, worthy of of the award, um, at least in my opinion. Um, and one of the th- there are a couple of things I liked about it that I thought I'd mention and see see what your thoughts were on it. Um, one of the things that I found interesting was that your protagonist, she wasn't a cliche uh, in in the mystery field. She wasn't, uh, you know, hard-boiled uh, private detective. She wasn't a cop. She wasn't a, uh, you know, a plucky amateur sleuth, uh, exactly. Um, she was a very, very you and me sort of person. Yeah, I really like stories that are about normal people who are sort of forced into extraordinary circumstances. I've done, I think, Plucky Amateur Sleuth. Uh, one of my books, The Little a Little Pretty Things, has that sort of character. Um, but what I, I really like is the more normal person who stumbles into something and has to deal with it from their own perspective and their own experience. Um, all these characters sort of have, I think, that element to it. Well, she certainly did. Um, um, I'm struggling to remember her first name now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you and me both, Frank. Um, <laughs> Under a Dark Sky would be... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is this is the thing they don't tell you when you start Eden. out. Eden Wallace. Eden Wallace, thank you. Yeah, I have too yeah. many uh, protagonists that have vowels at the name you know their name their first name uh, yeah yeah i'm noticing that trend now eden yeah. anna alice <laughs> oh here's juliet she's the trend breaker oh yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> uh well eden is, certainly is dealing with a lot um the beginning of this book uh, maybe you could share with the readers what she's going through sure so eden wallace is uh fairly young i think she's about 34 in in the when the book starts but she's a widow so a young widow long before, you know, the expected and not in the way that she thought it might happen. Her husband was in the military. And so she's sort of prepared for that kind of eventuality, but not at all for him dying in a car accident, which is not a big secret. It's, you know, at the beginning, you get to hear about that. So um, she finds in his, you know, the paperwork he's left behind a reservation for a dark sky park. 
Um, in a dark sky park, these are real places. They are places that are, you know, state parks, national parks, where they have set aside areas where the lighting is very controlled. The artificial lighting is very controlled so that when it gets dark there, it gets very dark. And that's so that we can go there and see the nighttime sky the way nature intended. So she finds a reservation to the guest house at one of these dark sky parks. And she decides, even though she's kind of developed a fear of the dark herself, she's going to go and keep this reservation, this romantic gesture that he's made, um, this secret plan he's made for them. Um, she's going to keep it and she's going to get back into her life by getting over her fear of the dark. Now that you describe that as the premise, I it just totally reinforces how many different layers there are to this book because by the time you get to the end of the book it resembles almost nothing of what you just described (laughs) it it still takes place at one of those places and everything it's not like you lie to the reader but there's just a lot of layers to this onion that you peel back in this book and it's a very fascinating uh read as you go about it thanks i think uh, part of that is how i write now the book i'm writing right now which we can talk about later i've written entirely differently But normally I set out with just a couple of points on the map. You know, when I devised the story, if you want to call it that, the first thing I knew was that I wanted to write about a dark sky park. I had just heard about them. I didn't know very much about them. It was fascinating to me. I, you know, I like to look at the stars. It's that's part of it. But I also thought this um, movement to save dark spaces was just really interesting, but I had to figure out who would go there. Why would she be there? What kind of baggage would she be bringing along? And so it it kind of was written in an oniony type of way, mm. um, which is just it's how I like to write because it keeps me interested. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think I could be this person who uh, outlines very heavily and spends months and months working at a story and then and then sits down and starts to write a story. I don't think I could do that. That's interesting. A lot of uh, people these days are are that I run into are leaning more towards that heavy outlining. And, and I, I've resisted it except in uh, instances of, of collaboration where it becomes, you know, obviously a bit more of a necessity. Well, like I said, the thing I'm writing, I'm finishing up a draft for 2021 right now. I had to write it differently and I'm not sure outline is the right word, but I've learned. And I did actually outline a little bit for the book that comes out um, in February the lucky one, um, because it was a very complex story. And I thought, no, I need, I need to know a little bit where I'm going here. So I get it. Um, but up until, you know, my 2020 book, I had never outlined a single thing about any of my books. Wow. That explains (laughs) maybe what I liked best about under a dark sky. And that was that, uh, throughout the book, I suspected virtually every character uh, you know, as being the person that being the bad guy, I'll just leave it at that. So people can discover what the crimes are and what the dangers are when they read it. But, um, you. you did a really good job. And that includes the narrator at, at some point, uh, um, yeah. at certain points, you wonder quite a bit, whether you have an unreliable narrator, uh, going on there. So well, I, will, I will say that any, this is a first person narrator. And so I would say that any first person narrator is an unreliable narrator, now, how much unreliability you're sure. talking about is, you know, there are degrees. Sure. But, um, but I'm, I'm talking about actual trying to, yeah. you know, put, put one over on the reader unreliable as in I'm really the killer. Oh. and I'm just going to, you know. Well, I don't know if I would put up with that sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that got <laughs> Christie in trouble, right? The, uh-huh. 
the murder Roger Ackroyd, um, you know, not to spoil an 80 year old book, but um, you know, it had a first person narrator that was the villain, but really, yeah, but she managed to pull it up, but she didn't cheat. She had that character writing down the story. Uh, so it was, it was a epistolary uh, novel. And, and so he's choosing what to tell and what not to tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you did a fantastic job with it. You, you won me over very easily. I'm uh, uh, going to attack your, your back catalog uh, here. Uh, but it sounds like there's some front catalog to be looking at. <laughs> um, the lucky one you said comes out in February? So much front catalog, Frank. Um, so the lucky one comes out February 18th. Uh, just briefly, since you asked, it's a story about um, another first name with a vowel, Alice Fine, who is um, a, a woman who is sort of stuck in her life. It's my favorite kind of character. Um, <laughs> who, uh, see, this is the thing where I'm like, I haven't talked about this book yet. I need to learn how to talk about this book. So let's do it on the air. Why not? Um, <laughs> so the lucky one is about Alice Fine. And as a child, Alice was kidnapped. And briefly, very briefly, missing from her family. Um, within the day she's re- recovered, her dad is a police officer, and he tracks her down, saves her, everything is fine. But they, the, the family is sort of shattered by this, and they move away, and they start a new life. Uh, but Alice, has, she kind of considers herself the lucky one, because she escaped uh. this, you know, terrible event, this terrible thing that could have gone terribly wrong. So um, she's decided that she is going to um, give back of herself to this website called the Doe Pages based on a real website called the Doe Network, where um, amateur sleuths, real ones, not fictional ones, but real ones, try to connect missing cold case, missing persons cases with cold case uh, unidentified remains. Mm. So if you know anything about, you know, real missing persons, there are thousands of them, um, people that may never be found. And then there are also people who have been found who have never been claimed. They, there's little chance of these people finding, being connected, except that there are real amateur sleuths that try to do that. And the guy who started the Doe Network, his name is Todd Matthews. He works for NamUs now, the National Database of Missing Persons. But he uh, solved a 30-year cold case of an unidentified remains um, you know, using the very early uh, internet and chat rooms and that sort of thing, trying to find somebody who was looking for a person who'd gone missing and and would match somehow the person that they that had been found. So all that to tell you that the Alice is sort of helping out with this website. And one day she sees um, a face that she recognizes on the missing person side of the website, and it's the man who kidnapped her. So wow. um, she's going to try to, you know, seek him out for reasons of justice, maybe to keep him from hurting anybody else. She doesn't know what's going on, but she's going to get to the bottom of it. And she gets some help from a couple of her uh, very casual acquaintances who are uh, volunteers with the Doe pages as well. And um, in the meantime, there's another character that Alice stumbles over, a woman named Marilee Cruz, who's looking for someone else. And uh, they kind of uh, help each other out and get in each other's way. That's an interesting twist with the former suspect essentially being a missing person there. I mean, that's that uh, I'm very curious to find out what's going on with that. Well, good. Curiosity is what I live for. <laughs> that's what you stoke when you talk about it, right? <laughs> uh, and that's out February 8th. 
February 18th. Oh, 18th. Okay, good, Mm -hmm. good. We'll get back to our conversation with Lori Raider Day in just a moment. But now is the time that I turn things over to the experts to talk about some books you might be interested in reading. Uh, and by experts, uh, I mean uh, usually other authors, former guests, uh, but also folks who uh, work at a bookstore, uh, particularly that of the independent mystery variety or do reviews all of them have a place uh, here on the show to make recommendations Uh, this episode we're going to hear from libby klein and charles salzberg okay uh this is charles salzberg and i would recommend uh jean le carré's um the last spy as a um, interesting uh kind of update of uh, his Smiley books. Hi, I'm Libby Klein, and I write the very funny Poppy McAllister Mysteries. If you like funny mysteries, check me out. But also, check out Ellen Byron's Cajun Country Mysteries. Very fun Louisiana-based mysteries. Also, Vicki Fee's Live and Die in Dixie. Live and Die are her main characters' names. How cool is that? If you like fun, funny mysteries, I've got lots of recommendations. All right. Thank you for that, uh, Charles and Libby. Great recommendations. I would like to add to that recommendation a couple of quick uh, books to think about. Um, I just started reading Terry Shames' book the killing at cotton hill uh, which is set in texas and uh, terry's been on the show she is a very energetic and upbeat person and her uh, her book's really good so um uh, and the other book i'm reading uh this one on audio is stephen king's the outsider which uh definitely has some supernatural elements i think at least that's what they're pointing to uh but the setup so far has been very much a uh a procedural uh, and in the crime fiction field. So uh, Stephen King, if you're out there, you have a standing invitation to come on the show to talk about that and the Bill Hodges trilogy. Uh, well, but now let's get back to Laurie Raider Day. You know, talk about curiosity. You mentioned it a couple of times, so I am curious. You're, you're working on the next book, the next next mm-hmm. book. Um, and that's something totally different than, than what you've done before. Yeah. Um, so the lucky one is a little different than what I've done before. It's it's mostly inside baseball when I say it's a little different in tone and it, it's using a third person, uh, dual third person narrator. But since you might have a lot of inside baseball people listening, that's that's why it's a little different. It was a little different to write for tone reasons. And then because everything up until then has been a first person narrator. It's just a very natural way to tell a story. And then the next next book. Uh, which does not have a, a final title yet, is set at Agatha Christie's house in England in 1941. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has been uh, my life for the last year. It's been a really difficult book to write, but also challenging, but in a fun way. Not always fun, but often in a fun way. Uh, the story is based on a very little known aspect of history 
1941 when um, you know they had evacuated a lot of British children out of London to the country houses and to schools and, and churches and all these places out away from, they thought, uh, bombings. In about 1941, 10 children were evacuated by private arrangement out of London and they were sent to Agatha Christie's house in South Devon. So uh, I read about it in a like a half sentence in a book about Agatha Christie, and I just sat up and thought, okay, I want to read that book. Where is that book? Assuming that somebody had written it, and it turns out nobody had. And it was an idea that I was so excited about, but I didn't know if I could be the one to write it. I almost suggested it to somebody else, like, why don't you write this so I can read it? Um, I'm not British. I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm not a historical writer. Um, so it was it was very scary. So about five or six years while I was writing and publishing all my other books, I just had this kind of in this back burner idea that I would like to do someday. And then one day when I was um, working with my agent to get a new contract out of HarperCollins, they said, well, what else, you know, would you like to work on? You know, what would your next next book be? I said, I have no idea, uh, you know, but if uh, the only thing I have any any thoughts about is this one, um, you know, see if they're interested. And they were, they bought it, which meant that it became my front burner project overnight, uh, which was very, very scary. Careful what you wish for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a dream come true to get it, to do this project, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been a real challenge. Um, I'm in the last stages of revisions before I send it to my editor and let her read it for the first time. So everyone think very good thoughts about me. <laughs> I think I saw you tweet something on this subject a couple of weeks ago or so about working on turning this mess into something that's readable <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So feeling yeah, the, the strain a little huh? fire into something that wouldn't embarrass me. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> Isn't that just the way of it, though? I mean, you start out with a project and you absolutely love the idea and it's like a first kiss, you know, on a first date and everything's great. And then you get into it. And by the time you're done with it, you think you've basically written, you know, the biggest piece of dog shit ever created, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's kind of the process, right? We always we always think it's complete garbage. And, and some of it, like, let's be honest, some of it is garbage, but not all hopefully maybe there's something salvageable there and actually um i mean i don't want to i'm not done yet so i don't want to be like yeah i'm handling it but it's not as bad as i remember <laughs> so um, <laughs> but that's why you give yourself time be, right. you know from the end of the draft to the beginning of the revision so that you mm -hmm. can look at it like somebody else wrote it and mm -hmm. and that has been the case it's been uh good to be back with these characters but also a relief that Oh, the, the whoever wrote this, you know, she actually could write a sentence. So, that <laughs> bad. You know, I think uh, at your writing table, you should just, you know, have whatever inspires you to write. You know, nothing or something or whatever. But at your revision table, I think you need to have copies of uh, whatever trophy they give you when you win the Anthony Award <laughs> or whatever. Have those stacked around the revision table, and you'll be like, well, I can write something. So. <laughs> Probably yeah. I could write this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> They're sort of scattered around the house, but uh, I see your point. But then you don't. You also don't want to be like, I've got this handled. Everything I do is gold. I, like I want to be like, oh no, this is a different project. This is new. You know, you're trying something new. That's has always been my goal to do something new with every book that I write. In some ways, that's created a series of books. They're not in a series. They're all standalones, in which 
you know, a different person could have written those that they're all me, but they're also all very different, mm -hmm. which I like. I don't know if everybody likes it. I'm sure my, you know, somebody out there is like, wouldn't she just stick to one kind of story? <laughs> but I have to keep uh, myself interested or it doesn't get written. You know, there's a lot of TV I don't read. I don't watch. Maybe I could uh -huh. be watching more movies. I could spend my time other ways, you know? Well, they, you know, they, in all seriousness, they, it is, you know, it is said that you write for yourself and, and you're your first reader. And if you, you know, you're probably your most favorable reader too. So if you're not digging it, who else is going to? I mean, I can't even get this. I can't imagine getting the stories written if I wasn't into the story. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I could ever do, I don't know, like a write for hire or, you know, something that I didn't really care about. I think about that sometimes if you got hired to do a, um, a certain project, you know, if you worked for a TV show or if you worked for, if you did script writing or something like that, I, I don't know that I could always picture myself doing that kind of work. So it's a passion for you. I think so. I think so. I mean, it's a job at this point. I'm a full-time writer right now, but it's also, I'm able to do projects that I want to do so far. I haven't had to do something that I wasn't hundred percent crazy about doing. When I was looking at your uh, longer uh, version of the bio on your website, I had forgotten that you were in the anthology Murder a Go Go. Yep. I am the lead story on Murder a Go Go, the very uh, first one. I haven't read it yet, so I didn't know that. Um, and Unloaded <laughs> 2, Eric. Yeah, well, I love Holly West, uh, and um, and then Unloaded 2, I noticed as well by Eric Beatner's uh, project. Yeah. Um, so both Holly and Eric are uh, in this season of A Grifter's Song, uh, which is a series that I, I created and edit with uh, Down Out Books. So I've worked with both of them, uh, especially Eric. I've written a few books with him. Great people. Um, how yeah. is that experience working with uh, Eric and Unloaded and uh, with Holly and Murder of Go-Go's? I mean, incredible. Both of them are fantastic editors and, and just good friends. It's great to be able to work with people you really like. Mm -hmm. um, in both of those cases, those were stories that um, I had written a while ago and had never placed. They were finished, but they, they needed to be revised. And But they also weren't technically crime stories. I wrote a lot of short stories when I was first getting serious about writing. I was in, in an MFA program here in Chicago at Roosevelt University. And uh, short stories was how I got my writing, you know, how I got better very quickly by finishing things and abandoning things and starting new things, you know, every week. Um, but when I started writing uh, my first novel, when I first I had a short story that turned into a novel, to be honest, um, it's been a while since I'd written a short story. And so I kept getting invitations to be in these anthologies, which, of course, I wanted to do. Uh, being led by great writers and friends and being for great charities that I truly believed in. Um, but I didn't have the time <laughs> to write short stories. I don't know how people do it when they, they are writing new short stories and they're writing novels and they're writing three books a year. Um, I my, my process is mostly gnashing of teeth and rending of clothing and, and <laughs> one book a year. <laughs> um, Every so process I, I is different. I just pulled things out of the the drawer, you know, stories that had never really found their correct home, revised them to make sure that they had criminal elements. Um, but strangely, they both really worked for those anthologies. I don't think I, you know, I, I, to both of them, I said, here is a short story that might work. And if it doesn't, 
you know, you don't have to use it by any means. But uh, in both cases, I think those short stories worked really well for what they wanted. And from a short story writer from long past, sometimes having a short story that doesn't fit precisely what the prompt was or somehow expands the prompt, you know, it's good for an anthology to have some variety. And so maybe mm-hmm. that's what I bring to it. A very light, crime light short story to a crime anthology. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about uh, who Lori is uh, beyond just the writer. Uh, you mentioned before we got started that you uh, once worked as a graphic design artist. Yeah, I, my training in uh, my first university degree was in journalism graphics, which at the time meant infographics. Do you remember infographics? <laughs> I'm not sure. You're talking about like underneath the guy talking on TV, the graphic that pops up there or are we talking um, about something else no i think more like uh, in newspapers usa today really had a lot of them um this would be in like the late uh, maybe like the early 90s um i graduated in 95 and it was still a thing but page design of newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. that sort of thing um and so i have a graphic design background which is just enough to annoy anyone who's trying to design a book cover for me um you know because i have opinions about things like typefaces and, and what the image is and that sort of thing. Um, like we probably all authors have opinions on these things, but um, I can, can see the lingo. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, I don't really do that uh, very much anymore. I, I can do a flyer for myself and that sort of thing. But... <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did you, where did you, did you freelance for that or? Um, a little bit. When I graduated, I um, had been working freelance at an advertising agency where I did an internship. So I went to school at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and they have a great program in journalism. Um, and so I was very hireable. And so I worked in advertising, but I started working immediately as a production manager. So not the person who designed, not the person who wrote, but the person who sort of took the creative stuff and turned it into whatever it was supposed to be. So um, you know, if there were flyers, I was the person who got the flyers printed if, but it was like complex printing. So I learned a lot about how, um, printing is done and purchased. And so again, I know a lot of annoying things that will annoy people who actually do that for a living these days. You know, I'm, I'm a snob for printing. You can start a sentence with, well, in my day, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can actually, because <laughs> we, we barely used, I mean, we, we did a little bit, but um, like graphic design software for computers was fairly, you know, in its infancy. And so, and I remember getting my very first email account there. Um, nope. I didn't have anybody to email because nobody else I knew had one, but yeah, it was early days. Now that was in Indiana and that's where you're from, right? Indiana. Yeah, I'm from uh, central Indiana, a little town called Thorntown, which is where my parents went to high school. But you've been in Chicago for some time. been in Chicago for about 20 years. Um, I lived in Muncie, actually, before I, I moved to Chicago. So I grew up in a small town, and then I went to college in what I thought at the time was a bigger town. It's actually not a very big town of Muncie, Indiana. It's bigger when the college is in, right? But when the college, when it's summer, it's a very empty town, which I actually enjoyed. Uh, and then I stayed on there, moved to Indianapolis, came back and then worked for the university that I graduated from and stayed there for about six years, finished my master's degree in journalism, and then moved to Chicago with my boyfriend slash fiance slash now husband. And we've been here about 20 years. 
so was the move to Chicago like a strategic one or did he have a job offer or you had a job offer? Or I had just... a job offer. Yeah. yeah. But we sort of looked for jobs to get that job offer. It was sort of a strategic, you know, if we're ever going to live somewhere else, if we ever, you know, want to give the wider world a chance, we should try now. And so we did. How did Chicago win on that? Uh... Chicago offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had some contacts and it just worked out. It was a great uh, job working in um, healthcare and fundraising in healthcare, but for the communications side. And it was something that I had been prepared for by working for the university. I worked in, uh, you know, the graphic design communications area, but I worked with the fundraisers at the university. So ever since then, I've been, um, you know, the day jobs I've had have been communications, public relations, but in the capacity of healthcare, higher education, fundraising, friendraising, alumni relations, and that sort of thing. You know, I've never been to Chicago outside of, you know, airport uh, stopovers. Uh, but boy, there are a lot of crime fiction novels and stories set in that city. There are a lot of Chicagoland crime writers. There's a great community of people here working and, and setting their stories in Chicago or the Midwest. And it's a great place to be a mystery writer. I have to be honest. I, you know, sometimes I think I could live somewhere else. And then sometimes I think, I, I don't know if I would want to. I love being able to have drinks with Susie Calkins, you know, just for fun. Not not because we're going to BoucherCon. We'll see her there too. But it's a really fun place to be a mystery writer. And you're a pretty active member in the in that community? Too active. Um, I have been on the national board of MWA, Mystery Writers of America, and the local chapter, uh, which is actually 13 states wide president. Um, and right now I'm the national president of Sisters in Crime. Wow. National. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of emails, Frank. The, <clears throat> the, uh, the community, the, the fellowship that you get out of any kind of organization like that alone, I think is worth you know, I price think, of admission, but I then think you the network. I mean, there's networking where you're, you're trying to, you know, ambitiously meet people and get to know people and, and, and serve your, your own needs. But there's also that community, which is the same thing, community and networking. It's the same mechanism, but the community aspect of it, it just, it's not for the ambitious needs of your career so much as it's for mm -hmm. the internal psychological needs of a person who is trying to write stories, which is, it's not ditch digging, but let's be honest, it's not the easiest job out there. I've done mm -hmm. brainless jobs before and, and writing can be lonely. I think uh, Sisters in Crime is a great organization for people who are just ready to figure out how to get where they want to go. And mm -hmm. they can use the camaraderie of other people to figure out this is what it looks like to be a working writer right now. This is the kind of things that I should be doing and thinking about. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, comforting to know you're not alone. That's for certain, uh, because it is a lonely endeavor very frequently. Very frequently, yeah. This is my first, um, you know, conversation besides my husband in quite a while. <laughs> you're, you, you mentioned when we were coming on uh, that your, your husband is in IT? Yeah, he works for IBM. Oh, really? I worked for IBM uh, briefly, um, not as an IT person, though. I was a customer engineer, which is a fancy way of saying repairman. <laughs> <laughs> Let you get back to your, uh, are you done editing that? Or are you just taking a break? No, I did, a, uh, I think, like 50 pages of revision yesterday. So I'm going to go back in and, and do 
probably another 50 uh, today. It's it's like diving into 1941 and then, you know, I come out at the end of the day and I just don't know where I am or when I am. It's <laughs> the weirdest writing project I've ever done. Well, I will let you get back to it uh, because weirdness is good. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed the uh, the one book of yours that I've read, and I'm definitely going to read the rest of them. And, uh, Lori, I, I bet I will see you down in San Diego for the Left Coast Crime Conference in March. You will absolutely see me in San Diego. Well, we'll lift a glass. <laughs> that sounds great. All right. I thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, there you are, folks. Uh, Lori Raider Day. Uh, you know her better now than before, and you can see uh, what I was saying about her being a, a really nice person, but also uh, very quick-witted, a very smart lady, uh, and uh, one hell of a writer. I enjoyed Under Dark Sky, as you could probably tell, and I uh, heartily recommend it. And I'm looking forward to trying some of her other work, too. Next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. We will be talking to another wonderful woman, Kathy Ace, who is a Welsh Canadian living outside of Vancouver, who writes a couple different series, actually three different series. And she had some very cool things to say about uh, how she purposefully handled the characters in, uh, in her series and what she was trying to explore. I think you will enjoy hearing what she has to say. That's next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime point of interest something cool happened at the end of the year uh, feed spot a blog that focuses on uh, getting people hooked up with whatever it is they're interested in be it a blog or a podcast uh, has listed wrong place right crime as one of the top 10 crime fiction podcasts that you should be listening to so uh, right up there in the same list with uh uh, writer types and, uh, and and several other really good uh, crime podcasts that you should be checking out. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Thank you for that feed spot. And if you're listening to this because you saw that, then welcome. I'd like to thank Lori for coming on the show, Charles Salzberg and Libby Klein for making a great recommendation each. And of course, Down Out Books for being a great sponsor. And you, the listener, for coming on this journey yet again. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Lori Raider Day. And uh, we'll see you next time with Kathy Ace. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.